as I was praying about today, I was thinking of something that God has been putting on my heart. And the word that God's been putting on my heart is that we would be a bride where nothing is hidden and everything is possible. And so I just really feel like, like what God is doing right now is so key where nothing is hidden. And that means openness. That means being vulnerable with each other, learning how to have an open heart, learning how to have open communication with each other. And that's a tough place to be because some of us have been hurt. You know, we've been open before and somehow we've gotten hurt through that. And so that's a, it can be a tough place to be. But I really feel that God is right now asking us to approach his altar, to approach him with an open heart. Um, one of the, the key verses for me for, I don't know, for the last year and a half has been in Ezekiel. And I actually had approached the front of the church, I don't know how many months ago, with this word. But it still rings true. And it's in Ezekiel 36, uh, uh, verse verse 26. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take a heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm really feeling like God is wanting to have us come to a place where we would be divinely pure, divinely holy, and divinely abandoned, like total abandonment, and not out of fear, but out of love for him, um, where everything is open, you know, we can approach him with this pure heart, and so one of the things, you know, I really feel is if we look at the beginning of time, we see Adam and Eve in the garden, they were naked, they were uncovered, and they, they ate of the apple, and all of a sudden they realized they were naked. They realized their sin. They realized, so what did they do right away? They covered themselves. They tried to hide it. They tried to put this facade of a, a something that wasn't originally intended there to cover them. And later on, Jesus goes, and he, he's crucified, and he comes out of covering and, you know, one of the things is, you know, if we're not hidden, we're going to be naked. And that's a vulnerable place. But if we receive him, his love covers us. And so, but another one of those things, too, is, is in this whole thing is where nothing is hidden, it's a time for us to let ourselves be seen. Um... You know, a lot of times I've, I've seen it over and over and over and over and over within our church, within other churches. It's, it's everywhere where, you know, we try to put this facade on and, you know, we prayed before our peers trying to convince ourselves that, you know, we're good enough, you know. And I really feel like it's time for our real true selves to be revealed. The messy, the scared, the weak versions of ourselves. The versions where we don't always know the right answer or we don't always make the right try choice. 
the place where we make messes and we may not even know how to begin to clean them up. I think God is calling us to that place where we're not going to be covering ourselves with this fake thing that he's wanting, you know, because when they put the fig leaves on in the garden, that was not something that was meant to be covering them. It was later on that we see that they were covered by the blood. And that's the true covering. That's the covering that God wants us to, to be. He wants, he wants us to come boldly before him and be open so that he can cover us with his blood and with his covering. I know if we open and allow ourselves to be truly seen by one another, it also gives us the power to relate, to empathize, to encourage one another. We can become a strength and a support to one another in times of struggle and draw upon others when ourselves need help. See, God designed a world where being open, honest, connecting to him, we can unify and bond our quest for life and wholeness in him. And I think that that goes to a place of where, you know, God in the beginning, if we look at when God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything. And then he said, it is good. And then he created man. And for once he realized that it wasn't good because man was by himself. And he said, it is not good for man to be by himself, but to be have a partner. And so then he created Eve. And so in this place of openness, God has created us for community and for interdependence. He's created us to, to need one another for that purpose, you know. And if we're not open, we can't help and cover each other. We can't help and, and be there for each other because we don't know. You know, there's a story that really is key to my heart. And it's a story of a man who is thrown overboard. There's this man who's thrown overboard from a boat. And he's in the middle of the ocean. He's, he's sinking and he's sinking and he's sinking. And if he doesn't say anything, he's going to drown. But if he stops and says, help, I need help, the people on board the boat is going to throw something overboard and he's going to be saved. And the thing about that is if we sow silence, we're going to reap silence. So if we don't say anything, we're not going to be getting help from people. So that, that, that's something that I really feel, too, is in this process of being open, it's a time for vulnerability, a time to actually be real with one another as well as Father God. Our victories over sin and struggle becomes others' victories over sin and struggle and vice versa. We have had an incredible choice set before us to become unified and beautiful and a beautiful bride of Christ or to stay hold up in shame and fear of our own imperfectionness. The simple and difficult step that moves us toward unity instead of isolations is allowing ourselves to be completely seen and known by God and those around us. We have been given the greatest gift known to mankind, Jesus Christ. 
He lived that perfect life and gave us a way to overcome sin. It is okay to be imperfect and we it is okay to be imperfect and have insecurities and issues as long as we bring them to the light, which is Jesus. By doing this, we allow God to enter into our hurts, our pains, and our fears and restore and remodel us to restore and remodel us as if there was no sin or imperfection in the first place. By being completely open and honest with our shortcoming before Jesus, we invite him in the, to those areas to begin a restoration process towards being pure and a spotless bride. And so if we are to be nothing hidden, if we're to be the bride that's nothing hidden, you know, one of the things that I've been praying is, God, make me this, make me a spotless bride. Make me be part of the spotless bride where nothing is hidden. And if we're to be that, we have to be open with each other. So what does this practically look like? It means you can say three simple words. I need help. We need to lay down the pretense that we have attained for our own glory and no longer need to go on the journey we went as a newborn Christians, asking God or those around us for help. You know, I'm just thinking about when I started my journey with Christ, you know, I was saved and I was never discipled. And then I come out here and I'm going to ministry school and I still have issues, but I'm actually in this place where I feel like I can't go to people because I'm supposed to have it all together. And I don't. I don't. I don't have it all together. Um, actually, I think I've told you that too. You know, it was, there was this time where like I wouldn't receive anything and I would just was really prideful in my walk, you know, trying to put on this like little facade of, oh, I got it together and you know, whatnot. And I wouldn't receive help from anyone. I wouldn't receive someone's advice, you know, or I would be like, oh, well, I've already heard that or I, I already know that, you know, and just be this really proud thing. But the fact is, is I needed to humble myself and realize, you know, I never was personally discipleship. I was never under someone's disciple. I kind of was just thrown into a Christian walk and was like, go, just go. And it really, it really came to this point where I just, I didn't, I became hard. I became a hard heart, actually. And I never wanted to receive anyone's help. And I tried to put this facade of, like, I just know everything. So, um, we will never arrive while, let's see, we will never arrive while we are alive on this earth. There will always be room to grow and become more Christian, more Christ-like. The more mature we get in Christ, if we aren't careful, the greater the temptation is to get prideful, like I was saying. Instead of admitting the area of fear or insecurity and bringing it to God, we try to deal with it ourselves. We cover it up with working harder to, and, and performance since our pride doesn't allow us to admit that we still have something to work on. The truth is, if we aren't working on something, we are probably stagnated on our journey to become more Christ-like. We need to be humble enough where we will always reveal our weakness to God and ask for help. 
Even though all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, by being weak and allowing him to make us strong, we are redeemed by Christ, which is the true repentance. Uh, which is what true repentance is. Turning from our own ways to his. We cannot grow in areas we don't bring to the light. But when we do and choose Jesus over fear, we invite love into our into our imperfect selves. Being completely known, yes, even the negative stuff, and still being loved and cared for by those around us is truly one of the best feelings we can experience on this earth. You know, when we allow people into our process, into our journey, it actually gives them the the spot where they can actually um, well let's 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 go back if if I have a problem and I've, I have a need and I don't express that like I said earlier if we sow silence we reap silence I won't get that need fulfilled but if I have a problem and if I had have, have a need and I express that it actually gives the people around me the opportunity to be a hero that person in the, 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 the ocean who was thrown overboard, when they said, hey, I need help, it gave the people on board that opportunity to be a hero. So your heart is worth the inconvenience. Your heart is worth the, the voice to say, hey, I need something, or hey, like this is going on in my life. We were designed to experience love and connection from one another, but that is only going to happen if we become courageous enough to display our true imperfect selves to those around us, allowing ourselves to be known and giving others permission to do the same. So nothing hidden looks like taking the facade, taking that fig leaf that Adam and Eve tried to cover up with, and actually getting under Christ's blood and the covering that he has and knowing that, hey, you know what? We all don't have it together, but together we can be there for each other's needs. And so one of the things is I really feel is, you know, we need to move away from the thing that covers us and we need to, need to one, we need to face ourselves and we need to know that that's okay. And we need to know that God is okay with our journey. God is okay with our process. So, and just back to what I said before, if nothing is hidden, it's okay. Because it's his love that covers us. It's his love that's gonna be that fig leaf. Wanted to read Psalm this is Passion Translation if you haven't figured that out that's one of my favorite for, uh, translations but Psalm 139 verse 23 it says God I invite your searching gaze into my heart examine me through and through find out everything that may be hidden within me Put me to the test and sift through my, all my anxious cares. See if there's any of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you.
when we get rid of the facade and learn to be open, it actually allows our Father to be more available. It takes that veil away so we have access to the Father. So nothing hidden, but everything possible. You know, I was just thinking about how I'm just I'm just thinking about like some of the great evangelists that have gone before us, Billy Graham, Joyce Meyer, you know, some of these people that we look up to. And um, I see how God is using them and has used them. And, you know, they're really amazing people, and God has really done that. But God has reminded me that the same Holy Spirit that's in them is the same Holy Spirit that's in us. We actually are no different than they are. They're normal people just like me and you. But they have, they have gone after God in a way that is pretty much abandoned their life. You know, how do we live a life of pure holiness with total abandonment? And so I was thinking about that. And one of the things is to be able to do great things like that. I feel like I, I, I come down to three or four steps to do that. And the f- first one is to stay hungry. You know, interestingly, you know, the positions of influence, they never desired, they never sought after them. Instead, God gave them positions to people he could trust, to people who were hungry, to people who were willing to go after him with all the costs people who were willing to cost. You know, a revivalist is someone who pays any price to go after God. And so one of the things I really feel for us is how do we, you know, in this place where God is calling us to be not hidden but to do the impossible, what do we do? Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Um... You know, Matthew 5, 6, someone got a Bible, they want to, I'm going to throw some Bible scriptures at you so you guys can get involved. So if you guys have a Bible or a phone, so I need Matthew 5, 6, and then I need Matthew 6, 33. You can read it. Five six. Yep. Five six. Okay. Ready? Yep. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. That's it. Just five six. Be filled. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. So yeah. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be filled. So if we hunger and we, we thirst for righteousness, the promise is right there. 
we're we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be filled with those things that we so long for. So, someone got Matthew six thirty three. Okay, go ahead. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we seek God, you know, I've seen so many people going after Jesus because of the miracles, the signs, the wonders, or they want to see people saved. But if we actually just seek God his, and seek his righteousness, everything else is going to be added on. If we seek his love, everything else is going to be added on. If we seek his face, everything else is going to be added on. So it's that being hungry for him and going after him that we're going to be filled and we're going to be you know, able to do the things that God is calling us to do. We don't have to just learn how to do signs, miracles, wonders. That Those things will happen on their own as long as we learn how to humbly go after him. You know, if, if this, is, this is from a, a book that I read, it's um, Defining Moments, it's in the first chapter. It says, if there's one thing that I have noticed about all these leaders, it is that they are very normal people. Media reports and rumors, and sometimes the legitimate report of God's blessing on their life have created larger-than-life images of these down-to-earth people. Each of these has idiosyncrasies for sure, as we all do, but each also have very strong giftings or graces from God. Gifts are common. Every one of us have them. What's more important is that each one of these leaders has possessed a love for God that that dominates everything they are and everything they do. It is their simple devotion to Christ that stands out above every other feature in their lives. Any of these revivalists, any of these people we see, reason why they, you know, Smith Smith Wigglesworth could heal people was because he was hungry to see something. He was hungry. He, He went after that. He thirsted for the righteousness of God. He seeked the kingdom and the righteousness of God, and then everything added itself. So if we're to do great things, be hungry, stay hungry. Don't lose hunger. Continue to go after God. Continue to, to get in your work. Continue to you know, take time and actually seek his face. The other thing, stay humble. Stay humble. Someone want to pull up James 4? You guys could just take your phones out because we're Bibling it out there. <coughs> this, is, this is a good Bible study. I have my Bible. Right here. Whatever thought I see today where everybody has their phone. It's my Bible <laughs> slash scripture. No, they're not all my Bible. Yeah, oh here's my, my Bible. It's easier. Right. Let me, uh, James, let's, sorry. James 4. Yeah, 4 what? 10. I'm on it. What do you want? <laughs> Just James 4.10. Good for you, but it works when you don't have yours with you. Just 10? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That pretty much says it all. If we stay humble, he's going to be the one that lifts us up. Um, One of the things about... (coughs) I, I had a preaching assignment... And one of the verses that they gave me was Luke 9, 
was it 48 and 49 or what? I don't know. But Luke 9, and it says, it talks about the disciples are arguing with each other. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. But if you receive a child, you receive the kingdom of God. And so in that scripture, I really found out why were they arguing, and it was because they couldn't celebrate each other. Is what God revealed to me, is they couldn't celebrate each other because they were arguing because they had insecurities. And usually when we have insecurities, we can't celebrate each other. And so later on, I realized, to humble thyself is to really celebrate one another. To humble thyself is actually, when we celebrate others, we're lifting them up. And so when we're humbling ourselves, we're actually lifting other people up above us. And we're learning how to raise them up. So, but when we humble ourselves, it's not us that will lift us up. So when we're lifting other people up, God is going to lift us up too. We actually get to partake in in their their success. We get to partake in in that. um, I mean, humbling thyself is... You know, like like I said earlier, it's one of the vulnerable things to do too, because you're you're realizing I don't have anything to offer except what Jesus gives me to offer. Because in of it of ourselves, we don't. We have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. But because Jesus who lives in me is great and knows all things and does all things. I have something to offer. So, stay humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, for he will lift you up. See, one of the things about these great leaders was they never used their testimony for self-promotion. And if you even look at Paul in the Bible... He even considered himself to be the least of all apostles, not even qualified to be called an apostle because of his persecution of the church. In fact, he thought himself as the least of all saints. Now, part of me doesn't think he was attempting to project an image of humility, but he was burying his soul in a way that must be must have been painful because of his transformation he had. Never do we grow beyond our realization of our God and the needs of grace. And that's what the apostle illustrated very well. Because real God encounters will never manifest in pride. Anything that we do for God will never manifest in pride. It's always a humble spirit. And so, one of the things to do, great things, to do the impossible is to stay humble. And then to remember who we are. And that's a huge thing. You know, this year I'm uh, doing an internship with Ray and Catherine Light, and one of the things with them is identity, is identity reconciliation and learning who we are. And, you know, the thing is, is the truth of who we are is always there. It's just when we become under that and we realize we transform our minds by the renewing of our mind, 
of who we are. And so I'm going to pull out some scripture, ladies. We need Romans 8. So if someone wants to go there. There. We need to go to 2 Corinthians 5 if someone wants to go there. We're not done there. I'll tell you. Send it down, sister. Humble yourself. And then Galatians 2. Okay. Okay, Romans 8 what? Okay, so we're going to go to Romans 8, 14 through 17. Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. So, in that scripture, what are we? Children of God. Yes. We're adopted. We're adopted as royalty. We, we were adopted into the royal family. We're co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And the thing that I love about that is, yes, Jesus was purely God, but at the same time, he was purely human. And when he was on this earth, he was human. And so we were at the same level. He was never above he was above us. We would be literally looking at to him as he's our brother because we're joint heirs with him. And so everything that he did is accessible to us. So we're adopted as royalty. So I need Galatia, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 first. And then don't close it. Cause I, so verse 20. Verse 20, yes. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So what are we? Ambassadors. We're ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we represent Christ. And one thing that I, I really like is the word represent. If we look at it, it's represent. So as ambassadors, we get to represent the world. What uh, we get to represent Christ to the world. Okay, go on to verse twenty-one, please. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, 
so that in him we would become the righteousness of God, that is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by this gracious, loving kindness. So what are we? We are righteous. So becoming righteous means he covered us. We have no more sin. All right. Thank you, Missy. Galatians 2, please. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I know, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So... Christ lives in us. It's no longer us who live. It's no longer our sinful self. So Christ lives in us. So to reveal what, what we are or who we are, we're adopted as royalty. We're ambassadors. We're righteous. And it is Christ who lives within us. It is Christ who works through us. So when we remember who we are, it actually creates this courage in us. It creates this bravery in us. And it allows us to actually go. And that's the last thing of, of this whole thing is God is calling us to go. And I want to read this to you. It says, on July 17, 1859, Charles Spurgeon brought forth a message entitled, The Story of God's Mighty Acts. 150 years ago, he declared his this truth that had the power to shape the culture of the church until there was full restoration of God's historic interventions among mankind. So let's listen to this prophetic cry. So I'm just going to read this. When people hear about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a very long while ago. I thought it was God that did it. Has God changed? Is he not the immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever? Does not that furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do at another? Nay, I think I may push it a little further and say what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done, is to be looked upon as a president. Let us with earnest, earnestness seek that God would restore us to the faith of men of old, that we may richly enjoy his grace as in days of old. I think one of the most important things that Jesus ever said was the thing that he said before he left. Usually before we leave, we say the most important thing that we have to say. And so, in Matthew, it talks about the Great Commission. I'm going to read this out of, out of the translation, uh, Passion Translation. It said, Then Jesus came close to them and said, All authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to fulfill 
faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Nothing hitting, everything possible. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Is that we as a bride would be able to open ourselves to each other. That we would be able to take down the facade of trying to cover our own stuff with earthly stuff, but that we would take the covering of the blood of Christ and that would be, that we would be open and then that we would go and that we would do impossible things. <clears throat>